Been looking forward to this discussion all day. Adrian Griffin is the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Coach Griffin is with us on the WTMJ Hotline. Hello, Coach. Hello, hello. Matt, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. How does that sound? Head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Man, it sounds awesome. (laughs) It's something I've worked so hard and uh, tried to prepare myself for uh, many years, and I couldn't ask for a better opportunity. I mean, it's it's so humbling um, to be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, as you know, I started my career here. So just a special moment. Hey, I don't usually read guys' resumes, but I want to do this really quick because I have a pointed question, I think, after I read part of your resume because I am so impressed, Coach. I mean, you you graduate college, and then you worked your butt off for five years at places like Long Island, Atlantic City, Rosetto. I don't even know what that is. I thought that's how you learned Spanish. And, and, And then you made it to the league, and then when you started your coaching journey, you worked your butt off for five different organizations. Talk about the grind and about the work and the determination that your work ethic clearly has developed in you. Well, you know, I really have to thank my parents, right? Because, uh, you know, they instilled that in us at an early age the value of hard work and keeping the right attitude. And and I think most important, uh, most importantly, keeping our my faith in God. So, you know, being in the minor leagues, going undrafted, you know, it it builds some character in you, you know, and uh, you learn how to take a punch, but uh, get back up. And, and then I had to fight and scrap in, in, in the NBA for nine years. And, you know, I was uh, coming off the bench or buried on the bench or I've started, uh, you know, I've been traded, uh, you know, you name it, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced it. And then, my uh, coaching career just, you know, I have to credit all the wonderful coaches that I've been under. You know, they, these were really, you know, great masterminds of the game. You know, Scott Skiles, Tom Thibodeau, Billy Donovan, you know, Nick Nurse. You know, I'll put that group up against anybody, you know. So, and then, and if you uh, add the coaches that I played for, uh, Rick Pitino, PJ Carlissimo, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, Don Nelson. Avery Johnson, Scott Skiles. I mean, I've I've been truly blessed, you know. So I think my past and and all the the coaches that have poured into me, you know, has given me the the confidence to uh, be where I am today. Adrian, did we introduce you properly? Uh, I I was at the press conference today, but should we be introducing you as Dr. Adrian Griffin? (laughs) I think coach will suffice. (laughs) Uh, coach, uh, I love I love uh, being a coach, you know, and working with these young guys. And um, you know, the, I say young guys now. I could say that, <laughs> but um, you know, it's a, it, it is a treat. You know, it's, it's an honor and uh, to be on the floor with them. And I, I just can't wait to get to work. But you do have your PhD, right? That was something I learned yes. about you. Yes, uh, uh, actually, uh, Nick Nurse and I. Uh, cool story, you know, we. We were both uh, pursuing our Ph.D., and, and then when I joined the Raptors, we found out <laughs> that it was from the same uh, university. And actually, last summer, we uh, walked across the stage together. So it, w- it was super special, you know. And, uh, you know, it was also sentimental because my, my father uh, passed away in 2000, and he, he was such a, you know, educator, big fan of of education and uh, his goal was to to pursue his PhD and obviously it was cut short so 
I, you know, part of me, a, a big part of it was getting that in that PhD was to honor my father. So, uh, it, yeah, it's, it was a lot of work. Bless uh, my wife's heart, and she would stay w- up with me. I mean, through the night, and uh, she said that she didn't feel comfortable, you know, sleeping while I was up writing papers and doing scouts, and and then she put on some coffee, and and she was there every step of the way. So. Uh, bless her heart. Adrian, what were your meetings with uh, with Giannis like leading up to the day you were hired? Well, I can't get into, you know, too much detail out of respect with Giannis, but I will say it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I think we connected right away. Um, I could hear the passion in his voice, you know, and he really has a passion for the city of Milwaukee and uh, passion for winning and, and bringing him uh, Milwaukee, another uh, championship. You know, obviously, I, I felt like our values were uh, in great alignment. Um, and he was hungry. You know, uh, that was one thing that I was looking for, um, especially when putting a staff together. I, I wanted people that were extremely hum- uh, hungry. And I think uh, one thing that, you know, anytime you have a setback, you know, there's opportunity for a setup, you know, and I know like we all set goals and, and everything set goals. And uh, obviously the goals here were, were high and, you know, there's no, you know, mystery that, you know, we didn't um, meet those goals. But again, that, that gives us opportunity to get back to work. Um, And I think um, just talking to Giannis is like, he's willing to do whatever it takes to, to, uh, you know, hold hold up that trophy again. Adrian Griffin is with us on WTMJ, the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. So, Coach, as you're interviewing for this position and others, you obviously want to impress the president of basketball operations. Here, that's Peter Fagan. you got to impress the GM, and you did. That's John Horst. But in this situation, you interview with Giannis, and you talk to Giannis. Is there added pressure knowing that, Giannis is a great guy, but if he says no, if you don't connect with him, that this probably doesn't happen? You know, uh, f- first of all, I think uh, I want to give a shout-out to, uh, you know, John Hurst and, uh, Hurst and his team because they really set up, you know, the interview process. Um, it, it was like they created a, an environment for me, you know, to really showcase, you know, my talents, my expertise in the field, you know, um, I was able to get on the board. Um, I was able to uh, break down film. And so they did a ter- terrific uh, job in kind of setting up the process. And then, you know, the the other side of that was sitting down with Yana. So I think it was a thing in uh, totality. Um, I, you know, just building relationships are very important to me. So, and I was eager and uh, to sit down and talk to talked to him and afterwards so I just left in awe and I was even I didn't think it was possible but I was even more excited you know after I sat down with Giannis because I felt like man this is a great uh, connection I felt we connected I felt we had the, the, the same values and we wanted the same thing alright coach can you hear the music yes I can alright so for a game called five questions are you ready to play I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Uh, we'll start easy. What was your first car? Uh, a BMW. Oh, you came out doing things right. <laughs> That's well nice. <laughs> Mine barely had two doors. 
All right. <laughs> it was a, a nineteen a, a eighty three BMW. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So it might have needed a little tender loving that care. Changed, I think that changed things right there, right? Okay. There yep. you go. Yeah. Oh, that's good context. All right. Question number two. In two thousand eight, you were traded to the Bucks. Can you name any of the players involved in that deal? And, uh, no, I cannot. <laughs> Mo, I don't think I can. Nope. Not a single one. Not a single one. <laughs> Mo Williams, Joe Smith, Desmond Mason, Damon Jones, Luke Ridnauer, all part of that deal. Wow. Oh, wow. All for me, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You were coveted. Like me, it's me, me and the LeBron. You know, exactly. <laughs> Question number three. Tim Hortons or Culver's? Oh, Culver's. I, I love their fries. Good answer. Question number four. If you could make the ultimate sandwich, what would be on it? Lettuce, tomatoes, cheese, pickles, uh, probably turkey, and and then whole wheat. Ooh, whole wheat. Toasted? Yes. That is very healthy. He's writing that down. That sounds like a good dinner idea. That does sound good, yeah. All right, final question for you, Coach Griffin. One player in the league during your playing days that you absolutely could not guard. Oh, wow. There's there's two. I'm I'm going to say two. One was Kobe Bryant, obviously. Uh, People don't remember when he dropped uh, 62 on us uh, in three quarters when I was playing with the Mavericks because he, the month later he had scored, that's when he scored 81 on Toronto. So when he dropped the 81 in Toronto, we were in our locker room celebrating. <laughs> nobody, everyone forgot about the 62. And then the other person um, who was really probably gave me more problems because of my size was uh, Trace McGrady. I mean, he was 6'9", long and athletic. I mean, he just he would get to his spot and elevate, uh, shoot over me. There was nothing that I can could do, man. He was so he, he was probably the most underrated player. As good as he is, I think people don't realize how great he was. You know, he he was really unstoppable. Five questions with Adrian Griffin, coach. You got all of your answers correct. Well done. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Adrian Griffin, the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. We know it's a busy day. Thanks for spending some time with us, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. It is 527 at WTMJ. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. All right, let's bring in our friend meteorologist Brian Nisnansky. Hello, Niz. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. We just saw one of your uh, buddies walking by here, Kristen Kershane. Really? With her family was wandering by our big showcase studio here inside the Third Street Market oh, cool. Hall. Cool. Glad to see she's enjoying uh, yeah. you know, some time away from the office. And she come and say hi, or she just peeked through the window no, and waved you guys? she peeked and waved. Away. Big smile. She's so nice. She's such a nice person. <laughs> yeah. We, we love Kristen. We're, we're grateful for having Kristen. But she better get back to work tomorrow. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're short right now. We're short-handed. We're still in the yeah. process of hiring a new meteorologist. So, yeah, uh, Kristen included. Um, our schedules have been all over the place. Everybody so working a little extra. Uh, 
Yeah, a little extra, a little odd times and back yeah. and forth to fit the puzzle. So I appreciate all her efforts for sure. Hey, how did the uh, how did the rain shake out? We got some rain for sure. At, at least we got something. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't get a ton. Uh, 11 hundredths of an inch. That was the official tally at the airport. Um, I think the highest spot I saw from an official sta- recording station was uh, Fond du Lac 22 hundredths. There were some amateur sites like Dodge County, even like around Delafield that picked up a little bit bit more than that but yeah i mean for the most for the most part this isn't going to do much yeah. uh to our our building drought scenario i still anticipate by thursday that's when the new drought monitor gets uh issued i i, I would see most of southeastern wisconsin at least into the moderate drought mm. range yeah it's been tough it's been so pleasant it's yeah. been so nice outside but man we're paying for it on the on the on the rain part of things yeah we exactly. I mean, just getting like one really good soaker would do a lot. Um, you know, we I had one of our producers come in here and ask me, you know, so like when when does it start to get to a point where, you know, where it becomes serious? And you know, I I think really the most natural threshold, the first thing will be, you know, when does it become a problem more for like the food supply and our farmers versus like our lawns just being dry, you know, and everything that I've gathered from, from farmers, farmers, I got a farmer who lives behind me. Um, We're talking like, like a week or two here. Um, If we go another two weeks with very little or no rainfall, then we're going to be in some serious issues, or at least the farmers will be, you know, enough Yikes. that this is a, this is a large enough area that, that is affected with this dry weather that, you know, it's going to start driving up prices first. And then eventually, you know, if, if it goes, you know, even longer than that, then that may be a ruined crop. So, oh so boy. hopefully that's not the case. So uh, we're, we're a couple weeks from that, but, All but right. it's that close. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's that close. Absolutely. All right, so uh, starting tonight, lead us through the next five days. I know there's a shot for rain coming up in a few days. Yeah. So, Tonight, we're just going to have some cloud cover. I think it'll be dry tonight. Breezy and cool, low of 55. Now, for tomorrow, sunny and pleasant, a high of 70 degrees. I mean, again, awesome weather. Yeah. It's just, yeah. we need, I mean, all things considered, it's great. Thursday, uh, sunny skies, 71. Friday, mostly sunny, 76. Now, Saturday is the day that we have our next chance. And unfortunately, that lands on not only Saturday, but I think a really busy Saturday, lots of graduation mm-hmm. parties. So, I, my advice for now is don't panic yet if you have an outdoor graduation party the stuff looks to be like it'll be scattered it'll be far from an all-day rain it's just something you're going to want to stay up with the forecast and maybe start making those calls like if you if you like want to get like a tent put up or something like that start assessing the situation yeah, good right advice. now on that yeah <laughs> uh sunday better than saturday probably Yes, right now Sunday looks dry, partly cloudy and 70 degrees. Um, I think we could have some showers and storms that linger Saturday night into like early Sunday morning, like maybe still around like 5 a.m., but um, for the most part, Sunday during the day is fine. All right, meteorologist Brian Nisnansky, talk to you tomorrow, buddy. All right, see you later, guys. Bye. It is 543 at WTMJ. It is the 79th anniversary of D-Day. A couple of stories I'm going to share with you from local veterans who are there on D-Day. That's up next. 79 years ago, the invasion of D-Day, storming the beaches of Normandy, where 10,000 Americans were killed, wounded, or listed as missing in action. On a recent Stars in Flight honor flight, a couple of years ago actually, I met a guy named Rene Kepperling, who was there, storming the beaches on D-Day. Can I ask you about Omaha Beach? 
Yeah. Can you tell me about that? What do you remember about that? Well, not too much. It's uh, uh, our mission is to get off the boat and get off the beach. Yeah. And all you heard is, first they hollered, hold the beach, hold the beach, meaning don't let the German push you off the beach because then it's a failure. Hold the beach. And then finally, a major came by and said, what are you, who are you guys? And somebody said, we're rangers, sir. He said, well, rangers lead the way. And that's where we picked up the name Lead the Way, rangers. And that's when we jumped uh, over the encampment and just, uh, let's say, we shot it out with the Germans. And for a good three days, that's what we did. Were yeah. you scared? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah, sure. What went through you? Sure. Well, before D-Day, a couple of the officers would walk around dragging a, a body bag. And they'd say, if you don't squeeze that trigger first, we'll come over and pick you up in a body bag. Never mind if the guy's got a family, kids, a wife or whatever. He says, he's shooting at you. His job is to kill you, so you kill him first, and that's the way it went. Once you had some success at D-Day, after those three or four days, and you had time to look back and think about what you saw and what happened, what thoughts go through your mind about D-Day? Well, looking back at the beach and seeing all the bodies, that, that was a thing. That, that, that was bad. We fought for about three and a half days. Wow. Did you yeah. sleep? Well, standing up. Yeah, you weren't really asleep because you cut the shelling and all that. And you just stole. And for three days, that's as much rest as you got. Yeah, about three and a half days. I heard that you had contact with where Hitler slept, where Hitler lived. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, it's, a, it's near the end of the war. Uh, we were pushing the Germans pretty quick. We entered the stump, and the sheets were hanging from the windows. That means we surrender. And we got into the town square, the hotel. It was a nice three-story hotel. And we walked in the lobby, and this was a real nice hotel from town. Quality all over it. And there's a skinny German in a tuxedo standing there. And he sort of shaking as we walked in. What's at the end there? Two doors. And the guy said, oh, 9999 for Boden. Which we don't know for Boden. And the colonel, so I'm translating this, and the colonel says, no, no kidding. He pulls his 45 out. <laughs> he pushes it against the little German's head right against the wall. He says, tell him he's got 10 seconds to open the beaten door or I'll blow his beaten head all over the beaten wall. Door, you open the door and open the door and there's a beautiful salon. There's a desk there with, with, with a uh, German flag over the desk, which I now have, and some long chairs. And next door, there was a big bedroom and a bathroom. And the colonel says, Kip, you park in here. And that's how I got to park in there for four days. <laughs> yeah. And that was where Hitler had stayed? And that's where, that was only Hitler, that was his suite. When wow. he came to town, that was his suite, nobody else. 
That is Renee Kepperling, guy met on an honor flight. He passed away a couple of years ago. I also know a guy named Floyd Sorensen. He was a Navy medic who came ashore on D-Day 79 years ago. Tell me about your deal in the U.S. Navy. I joined the Navy uh, when I was 18 years old. was assigned to an LST-285. This was during the time of the invasion, or getting prepared for the invasion of Normandy. Uh, we had eight tanks on our LST for the invasion, and the idea of the LST was you could go and beach it up on the shore and discharge soldiers along with the tanks. Mm-hmm. June 6th, it was very bad. And, of course, the purpose of our LST, we were supposed to get the tanks off the ship and go ashore and pick up the wounded. And our tank deck immediately became an operating office area. We had two doctors aboard. We went out and tried to give first aid and so forth for the wounded. And the first trip we made back to England, we had 80 wounded on our ship. And so let's. I want to back up for a second. So I can't imagine the bravery that it took to be on that LST on D-Day and all your men and all your tanks are going ashore and there's incoming fire and it's dangerous. Was that a scary time? Very, very scary. And the thing that was very difficult to accept was that our troops, our infantry that went in in the first waves were pinned on the beach and had no place to go. And some of us that came in the second and third waves, we had to float around out in the uh, channel waiting for our turner to get in there. Mr. Sorensen, can you remember what it sounded like and what it smelled like and what it felt like on D-Day? The biggest thing was all, all of the airplanes coming over the top and then there were three battleships out and destroyers out and uh, cruisers out firing over the top at the pillboxes and giving support to the infantry on the ground. It was noisy. It was smelly. The water was very, very rough. Now, you bravely took care of a lot of the men that were, that were injured, that were there on D-Day, and you brought them back. How terrible was it to see what you saw, to see other brave men struggling and injured and, and dying Actually, there on the beach? Uh, it was difficult from the standpoint that they were hurt in some cases so badly that there wasn't much you could do for them outside of giving them morphine or something to ease the pain. And when we took the first, we had 80 on the LST going back to England and did operations. I don't even want to say how many amputees were on that particular trip going back, but uh, they couldn't get the first aid they really needed on the beach. And it was always something that you had to do immediately and try to go to somebody else. Uh, By the time we got in there, it was just going one place to another, and we concentrated what was going on right in front of our LST because we had to put them on a litter and get them back. Did you pray a lot during those days in the channel? I guess everybody did. If you never prayed before in your life, you're going to pray then. Floyd Sorensen, American hero, still alive unlike the 9,400 Americans buried in the Normandy American Ceremony Cemetery, 1,500 of them in the Garden of the Missing. A father and son are buried 
side by side, 33 sets of brothers buried side by side. And I think about them and their families on the 79th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy, D-Day.